everyone. Welcome back. Woohoo! It's semester two, and I have returned to host the living world yet again. I hope you guys are all very excited to see that my new broadcast time is now 6 p.m. Uh, UK time. So just make a note of that in your calendars if you didn't see it. If you didn't see my Facebook post or my Instagram post, I know it was a bit rushed only being this afternoon, but I'm happy to be broadcasting a bit earlier. Um, <laughs> I did find with broadcasting at 8 p.m., I did get quite tired, you know, and, and I'm an early person, so I don't like staying up too late. Not saying eight, like eight o'clock is late, but you know how it goes. <clears throat> Anyways, I'm super excited to be back on air. I, I'm, I mean, was I worried that I wouldn't be able to continue the show even with my dissertation due this semester? Yes. But you know what I did anyways? I decided to keep doing the show because it would have been really bad on me to just stop doing it after three and a half years, right? So I hope you guys are happy that I'm still here, still chugging along, <laughs> still having random technical issues. Um, but yeah. Hope you guys are excited to hear about some cool biology research once again. Um, but before I get to that, um, I do want to do just a little bit of a side tangent. Today's uh, January 30th, which also happened to be the release date of uh, this new book by Sarah J. Moss. She's a fantasy romance author, and it's a bit uh, it's a bit chachi, but. Um, she just released a book today and I freaked the heck out over it and I went to Waterstones right at nine and bought it and I have it in my room and I'm waiting and I'm waiting to read this book, this 800 page book. I'm so excited, God. Anyways, I just wanted to do a little plug for that. If you guys haven't read any of her stuff, um, it's good. <laughs> it's a bit spicy, but it's good and it's amusing, so... That was also another thing that was exciting for me today was broadcasting, yay, and book release, yay. Um, anyways, I, I'm sure you guys are wondering and are already used to me doing this where I rant for three minutes, but you've got to be like, Julia, get to the point. Talk about the biology research. That's why you're here. That's why we're here. And I'm like, yes, yes, guys, I agree with you. So, without further ado, I will now get to uh, what you guys have all been waiting for, the biology research. And I think you guys will get a kick out of this topic this week because it's not just a bio topic. It's interdisciplinary. And you want to know why I picked an interdisciplinary topic? Well, um, that's because of something called Cisco. What is Cisco? Cisco is actually um, an interdisciplinary research conference that I didn't really know was going on, but apparently it has been for the past few years here in St. Andrews. And it's for all the STEM subjects to come and like present their research and everything. And it was actually just this past weekend. I went on Saturday. Um, I didn't go on Sunday because I had to do a bunch of work, but I went on Saturday and it was really cool. They had all these people from all the different like, um, science departments and they had all these research posters there were people who did their um, laid law scholar um, programs last summer and they had research posters there were phd students who had research posters and they they looked really really cool and i and i went around and looked at all these posters they were hosting the conference in the medicine building so for those of you who haven't been there um it's at the north hog um nice building nice building i 
I know somewhere they've got cadavers, but I don't know where. So shout out to all my medicine friends. Uh, tell me where the cadavers are. I will never go looking for them because I, I think if you try to like get a cadaver not legally it's like a crime but um (laughs) that's another interesting plug if any of you guys want to go explore the medicine building and that's also where first and second year biology labs are so woot uh anyways that was my inspiration for this week's research topic actually i was chatting with this one specific uh phd student guy i don't remember his name but he was wearing a yellow shirt so um yellow shirt phd guy Thank you for inspiring this um, this week's episode of The Living World. Um, and the research I'll be looking at is actually pretty much directly from what um, this guy's PhD was, which um, is something called optical tweezers. And I said this week's topic would be interdisciplinary. And if the word, the phrase optical tweezers doesn't sound dis- interdisciplinary to you, then uh, listen to it five more times, okay? Optical tweezers is the topic this week. And I probably should start with explaining what they are and what you can do with them. First off, the more interesting part of this, because... This is an interdisciplinary topic that combines biology with physics. The more interesting part of this when this PhD student was explaining to me was what you can do with optical tweezers. So um, the, the coolest thing, the coolest thing that this guy told me with these optical tweezers is apparently it's a method to move stuff with light. Like, you know, all the sci-fi books you read where they get like a tractor beam and it's from the alien UFO and they like, you know, take up a cow into the spaceship or whatever. With optical tweezers, you actually do that. Can you take up a cow into space? No, but you can move really, really small stuff. And and when this PhD student was telling me this at Cisco, I freaked out like... I I swear, my jaw was on the ground for a good 10 minutes while he was talking. I just was, like, gaping at him and freaking out. I was, I still can't wrap my head around it. Like, we've actually figured out a way to move stuff with light. What the actual heck science? Like, how did that happen? Someone tell me how that happened. It's crazy. I haven't even talked about the science of it yet, and I'm already freaking out all over again. I'm like, oh my god. Uh, but yeah, that's just a little smidget of how freaked out I was that this science exists. Like, what? Um, <clears throat> and this technology, these optical tweezers, are so cool that apparently the people who developed them actually won a Nobel Prize for this in 2018. Another thing I didn't know, um, because, you know, I don't watch the Nobel Prize um, broadcasts. I'm I'm sure they're very, very interesting, but it's just another reason, you know, if you get bored on one night and I think they give the awards out in December. So if you get bored one night in December and you don't want to, um, you know, uh, listen to Christmas songs, you could always watch the Nobel Prize Awards and they'll all be fancy and everything. But yeah, um, these optical tweezers so fancy that uh, the people were given a Nobel Prize for it. So... Uh, Optical tweezers, you can move stuff with light. And the how behind that, I'll be getting to in a minute. But, mm, excuse me, I just want to get a bit into um, who the people were that developed this tech because it's flipping sick. And 
just a bit more about their backgrounds. So if any of you are um, considering doing a combo major with bio and physics, uh, maybe take a look at this episode because it's cool. And you can learn about these Nobel Prize winning people who developed this technique. So uh, this Nobel Prize in physics in 2018 for optical tweezers was awarded to three people. Uh, the first person was um, Arthur Ashkin, who was the guy who originally developed the optical tweezers. And then there were these two other people, uh, Donna Strickland, who was apparently the th- only the third woman ever to be given the um, Nobel Prize in physics, which is insane. And another guy, uh, Gerard Maru. And uh, they were given this prize in part for developing this fancy um, high-intensity laser thing, which kind of assists with the optical tweezers. So first, I just want to talk a brief bit about um, Arthur Ashkin. So as I said, he's the guy who originally developed optical tweezers. And um, I was looking into um, his, his bio a bit, and apparently he died in 2020, but he was given the Nobel Prize when he was 98. So if that gives you any indication, optical tweezers were actually around way longer before these people were given the Nobel Prize, which makes sense. Uh, but um, Ashkin originally found um, in the 1970s the concept of optical tweezers. He, he, he figured this out. And the interesting part of this, um, this technique and why I've been calling it interdisciplinary this whole time is, yes, it's a physics technique, but... There's also really big applications uh, for it with biology. Because in 1987, Ashkin found that he was able to move and capture bacteria without hurting them with light using optical tweezers. And that's the part I'm going to be talking more about in this episode. Because it's insane. Again, moving bacteria with light. What the heck? What the actual heck? Anyways, that's Ashkin. The other two winners who I said were given an award for, you know, more intense uh, laser stuffs was uh, Strickland and Maru. As I said, uh, Strickland was the third ever woman to receive the Nobel Prize in physics, which, again, is crazy. And me being a woman on here broadcasting the show, I got a plug for all my girls, you know. You, that could be you in the next few years winning a Nobel Prize, another Nobel Prize in physics, you know? Like, it's insane. It's, it's crazy. It's awesome. It's insane, but it's crazy, you know? Um, and uh, Strickland, along with Maru, they um, were also awarded this prize for their invention of something called CPA, which is more of a, this is more of a physics term, but I still want to talk about it because it's interesting, helpful, and applicable. Uh, But CPA stands for Chirped Pulse Amplification Lasers. So, woo, you physics, uh, physicists, sorry, physicists out there, freak out. I'm talking about physics. Whoa, on a bio show? Whoa, I know, crazy, yeah. Uh, Anyways, uh, the CPA technology, what is it? Um, The, as I said, it stands for Chirped Pulse Amplification Lasers, and apparently uh, the the reason why they won this prize is uh, these two were able to make these lasers, which are the shortest and most intense laser pulses ever created. Um, <clears throat> and why is this significant? Uh, because typically if um, you want a laser to have increased power, um, if, if, if you want it to like, have increased power, the, the, the drawback of this is it gets too hot. 
and you can't do certain tech applications with it. And this will be clear to you guys soon once I explain a bit more about the um, the physics behind the optical tweezers. But it's very important that you're able to do as high-level amplification with lasers as you can without burning your samples. And that was why this technique, like, in part won that Nobel Prize is because of that. And uh, how were they able to create these, um, the shortest and most intense laser pulses ever? Well, they did something crazy. They took a laser, they stretched the laser in time, then they amplified that signal and compressed it again. And this allowed for them to get bigger yields of power with the laser. And the applications of this technology are massive. Uh, number one, they work with optical tweezers, which I'll be getting into. But other applications are for more routine stuff like laser eye surgery, LASIK. Literally, my parents got LASIK. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. Uh, here's a future plug for you guys on LASIK if you ever need it again. Um, but laser eye surgery, everyone gets that. Or, you know, not right now. I don't want laser eye surgery right now. God, I'm I'm scared of needles. I can't imagine a laser going into my eye. But... Um, if you have a really high intensity laser that's like sharp and everything, that's really, really helpful and really, really applicable. So that was the other half of this Nobel Prize. So I hope you guys liked that little plug on the Nobel Prizes. Uh, I know I've never talked about any of them before. So, um, yeah, I mean, may maybe I'll do that more in the future. Be like, okay, who won the Nobel Prize in 2023? We're going to do that research now. Um, but yeah, super cool. So I've talked a bit about um, this week's topic, optical tweezers. I've talked a bit about how it's so flippin' sick that it won a Nobel Prize. But before I get to the study, I, as I've said, I need to explain to you guys, and I guess to myself a little bit too, because I'm not a physicist, how optical tweezers actually work. Because you have to understand how they work before I can talk about this next research study and the university that conducted it. So... Optical tweezers. I said in brief, you're able to move stuff with light, and that's absolutely sick. But how do they work? So I've been calling them, um, for the past 15 minutes, optical tweezers. But these were originally called something a lot longer. Their original name was single beam gradient force traps. And that's a mouthful. Like, imagine if you had to make an acronym out of that. Like, if you have to make an acronym for optical tweezers, it's like OT. Yeah, the OT. And then if you have to make an acronym out of single beam gradient force traps, that's like... Like, what? That doesn't even make any sense. And it just goes to show the importance of, you know, the acronym is important and everything because you get all the data from the name. But having a shorter name is just helpful. And that's just a little bit of an aside, but it's just really interesting that that's the original name of the optical, optical tweezers, that they that it used to be single beam gradient force traps. But it kind of makes sense if you think about it from a physics perspective. Um, but I'm not going to go too much into the physics perspective because I don't know enough physics behind um, to quite uh, quite uh, consider that idea. So um, that's their that was their original name for optical tweezers. Um, but how do they work? As I've said, they're, you're, you're able to move stuff with light using optical tweezers. Um, so yeah, they, they basically work by using light, and the light source in this instance is lasers. So hence the important applications of CPA, which I just mentioned. So you use these lasers to help manipulate and move different objects. 
But as I said, their original name was single beam gradient force traps. So what the heck does that mean? Why did they go from being called that to being called tweezers? Like why? Why? Like what what is this what is this trapping force that traps the molecules and the particles and why is that relevant in the name? Well, um the most important part here with the lasers and everything um is you have to trap I mean, it kind of makes sense, right, intuitively. Like, you have to, you have to like, be able to grab onto something and trap it to move it, right? You can't just, like, put your hand in there and have your hand not have a good grip on whatever molecule or thing you're grabbing, right? So, kind of makes sense there. Um, but apparently the force that's used by these lasers to grab stuff um, is called a radiation pressure, which is produced by the laser. And I'm not quite sure what that is, but that's what the source I was reading about this said. Um, and there's a bunch of different labs that, that work with this. But um, besides needing to have the ability to trap stuff via laser, um, you also uh, need to be able to focus the laser enough to do this. So this is where the optical tweezer part comes in a bit. So you can't just take a normal laser and you know, grab something, like, with the light. You have to focus it. You can't just shine a, a laser normally. You have to get it really, really, really concentrated. And uh, um, how does this focusing work? Well, um, from what I learned and from what the PhD student at Cisco told me, apparently we're able to get the laser to be focused by using an objective lens. Um, so what's an objective lens? Well, if any of you have ever seen a microscope or worked with a microscope or are doing your dissertation projects on microscopy or really have seen microscopes in any instance, media form, books, anything, um, an objective lens is, you know, the little part on the end of the microscope that you have to turn if you want to zoom in. And this is a specific, like, you know, high power lens right? That has all these different mirrors and things that bends light, focuses light. So you're able to see this one small thing with really, really nice clarity. But uh, as I said, the focusing of this light of the laser to make the optical tweezers needs these objective lenses. But how does that work? How do you take a laser and an objective lens from a microscope and make a, like a tweezer thing that grabs stuff with concentrated laser power like how 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 does that work well apparently from what i learned in from many different sources and from my rudimentary understanding of physics um, apparently how this works is you take the laser you take the objective lens you shine the laser into the objective lens and um how you're able to move things with the light and grab them and everything is all focused independent on apparently the momentum transfer that's associated with bending light. And this really takes me back to my um, limited memory of, um, you know, high school physics and everything. But uh, light is not just light. Light, uh, for those of you who may or may not remember, light is both a wave and a particle. And I forget that all the time. And I'm still confused about that all the time. But this is a very important characteristic and factor of light. Because, as I've said, the principle behind these optical tweezers is that 
they use momentum transfer associated with the bending of light. And because light is both a wave and a particle, it's able to carry momentum that's proportional to its energy and its direction of propagation. So the whatever direction you're shining the light, um, it carries momentum within it. And so if you have any change of direction of the light by, refra by um, refraction or reflection, this will result in a change in the momentum of the light. And um, if an object bends the light and changes its momentum, uh, the conservation of momentum, which is a Newton's law, I believe, or at least that's what the PhD student was telling me. He said it's like it has to do with Newton's laws. Um, but if you have the object bending light, uh, that changes the momentum of the light. This um, causes the causes conservation con conservation of momentum that requires the object to undergo an equal and opposite momentum change. And this leads to a rising force acting upon an object. So basically, if you if you are shining light in an object, um, the object will change and bend the light, changing the momentum of the light and causing an equal and opposite force to act upon an object. And with optical tweezers, how this works is when you shine the laser through the objective lens, the light at the center of the beam is brighter and stronger than the light at the edges of the beam. And um, they also, from what I've read and from what the PhD student told me, they also will sometimes use a bead to help, like a, a glass bead to help concentrate the light. And... Um, it allows for specific bending patterns of light. And you basically sum all the momentum forces of the light together. And um, it's these forces that is what moves objects. So as I've said, um, when setting up these optical tweezers, you get this like light intensity profile where the center is is brighter and stronger than the edges. So I guess you could say it has a stronger momentum. Um, and this, um, these different forces, momentum forces from the light are what create the uh, optical trap from the laser. So the laser creates this crazy trap based off momentum and forces and uh, the, the, the displacement of momentum. And this is what causes the objects to move. So... It's pretty complicated, and that's my, you know, more basic level explanation of optical tweezers. But if you guys are curious, please look into it. It's super cool. Super cool, and I still don't entirely understand it. But um, the PhD student's poster at Cisco was really cool. He had this whole setup with, like, four different mirrors and an objective lens, and it was all about taking light from a laser and focusing it into one spot and then making all that crazy momentum stuff that like the light pushes on the object and the object pushes on the light and and it moves you know so i hope that i explain that to the best of my ability to you guys but me not being a, a physicist it makes it a bit hard but i do want to now get to the actual study that was using these optical tweezers and how there is a biological application of this tech because it's super super sick as i mentioned so, uh, 
this study uh, that was that was working with optical tweezers was more of a um, improvement method type of study. So it was done um, at the University of Texas in Austin, back in the U.S. again. Because yes, if you guys, if as you guys have noticed, quite a few of my episodes have been on U.S. schools. But I'm like, it kind of makes sense. There's like thousands of universities in the U.S. Not to be biased or anything, of course, but um, it's just how the nature of you know, research publication goes sometimes. It 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 can be more favored towards certain ge- um, geographic locations, universities, etc. So, um, I am trying my best to find you know a bunch of a, a, a various bunch of places to talk about. But sometimes I do get a bit skewed to a few countries. But still, super cool. Um, UT in Austin um, got some family friends that live in Texas actually, and they they talk a lot about how Austin's like you know the up and coming city for like young people, which I guess would be me, which is nuts now, but <laughs> yeah, so Austin sounds like a cool place. Um, I know the University of Texas system is massive. It's kind of like you know the UC system. You know, like I've heard everyone wants to study at UC. I'm like, okay, I don't I don't, I don't get what the thing is about with UC, but okay, but yeah. So this study that I'm that I'll be talking about um, using the applications of these optical tweezers was done at uh, University of Texas Austin, but just a, a little bit of a side plug. There's also really big work here in St. Andrews, as you guys might have guessed, with optical tweezers. Um, hence the PhD student I keep mentioning. But if you guys are really curious and you ever want to work in that field, or if you ever want to look at it, there's we actually have a um, optical manipulation group in the physics department here at St. Andrews. And apparently, I was I was looking back through the records and everything on St. Andrews's work with optical tweezers, and apparently we applied for some kind of a patent for something for them in like 2011. So I don't know if we got it. But that would be really cool, right? Be like, yo, St. Andrews has a patent for optical tweezers. Yay. <laughs> it's super cool. But anyways, that's a bit of an aside. Um, if you guys, excuse me, if you guys, you know, don't get like a second to check out UT Austin or whatever, you can check out St. Andrews stuff. Woot woot. Anyways, back to the study. Now, it's it's not too old. It's actually only six months old now. Uh, published on August 23rd, back in 2023. But it's still kind of weird that that was six months ago. Like, I started fourth year six months ago. How? How has it been six months? What happened to my life? What happens literally to time? I have no idea. But it's crazy. And it's crazy that this study was published only like six months ago. And I don't know how many people have heard about it. I mean, it's nuts. It's crazy. And... As I said, it was led by uh, researchers at UT Austin, but uh, they also involved um, uh, researchers from Har- from the Harbin Institute of Technology in China as well. Makes sense. You want a technology institute to help you with literally lasers and lenses and moving stuff. Uh, so, yeah. And this study was so cool. It was apparently published in Nature, which is fancy. And not to be biased on journals now either, but... Nature's fancy, so whoo. Good on you guys, UT Austin. Good on you guys. You got another article in Nature. Yay. Woohoo. Uh, but anyways, uh, what did this study add on to optical tweezers that um, that is new, that was new? Well, something really, really cool. They're really cool. So it's, a, it's, it's not, a, it's, 
I'm still not even getting to the biology part, guys. I'm still interdisciplinary here. They used they used supercomputers to help make optical tweezers like better. Supercomputers. And like it's insane. That was the basis of this study is they wanted to improve the technology behind optical tweezers with supercomputers. Why? Because, as I mentioned before, there's a lot of potential applications for optical tweezers. Being able to move stuff with literal light, of course there's a bunch of applications for that. It makes total sense, right? So, yeah. Um, that was the, that's, that's just like a one-sentence summary of the basis of that study. But, um, yeah. So, it's, it's super, super cool. And uh, how did this study work? Like... Yes, I said it was an app, it was it was a study to help improve the applications of optical tweezers, but what kinds of applications? Well, I said this was an interdisciplinary study. The interdisciplinary part that links with biology is that these researchers were looking at improving optical tweezers so that we're able to safely use them on living cells for a bunch of different things. You can do this if you're able to get it to work literally moving living cells with light, of course you're going to have a bunch of applications. So some of the applications that were mentioned in this paper and in the news briefings surrounding it uh, were applications like cancer therapy, um, environmental monitoring, and a bunch of other stuff. Like even this one really fancy one, like selective cellular surgery. Like, what? Cellular surgery? What? It's crazy, right? It's absolutely insane. But uh, yeah, that was the basis of this study is these researchers, they were like, oh, optical tweezers is cool. But, um, you know, there's a lot of work that needs to be done and we want to optimize it for using it on living cells. And how are we going to do this? Oh, we're just going to use a supercomputer. I'm like, okay, sure. A supercomputer. Yay. Great job, guys. Great job, guys. So, how did this study actually work? Like, how did they even design anything to test this with the optical tweezers? Like, how? So, uh, number one, they need optical tweezers. Uh, and as I've already um, tried my best to explain, you guys know a bit more about optical tweezers now. They're able to trap and move small particles because light has momentum and this momentum can be transferred to particles when it interacts with them. And um, light has all this. And the reason why we're able to have all this momentum is because of the lasers, because they shoot high energy light. So they're able to move stuff. Or at least that's my understanding of it. They're able to move stuff. But needless to say, that's the optical tweezers setup. So they take an optical tweezers, right? And they wanted to take it. These researchers, they wanted to take it one step further um, with the supercomputer. So why did they need the supercomputer in the first place? Like, oh, okay, you want to use optical tweezers on cells, right? You don't need a supercomputer. Why do you need a supercomputer? Well, I mentioned uh, one of the things with lasers is that the higher power you want to go with a laser, the, um, the, the hotter it gets. And if you get too hot with a laser, you can incinerate the stuff you have. And if you want to try to use optical tweezers to move cells, you don't want your laser power to be so high that you burn your cells up, right? Because that would suck. You have all these cells, you worked so hard for them, and then you just take a laser to them and burn them. Like, 
That would suck. Think about all the money that goes behind that. And then you would have to like report that to someone and they'd be like, you had all these cells and you burned them. And, and your answer will be, oh, I wanted to use optical tweezers, but the tech wasn't there for it. So that's what the study was doing. And that was why they needed supercomputers. So uh, these researchers, because they wanted to use optical tweezers on cells, what they wanted to do was they wanted to develop a method to keep the target particles, in this case cells, cool. And they, that, was, that was the whole thing, is they wanted to keep them cool. That makes sense. You don't want to burn your cells. And they have a very fancy name for this um, cooler optical tweezer laser method that they wanted to develop. Um, they called them hypothermal optothermophoretic tweezers, or HOTTs. And I'm not going to try to say that again because I will probably butcher it actually. But um, these researchers, they were able to develop HOTS. Uh, and this, they, they actually were able to achieve low power, like low laser power level of trapping of diverse particles and biological cells within like different liquids. So they were able to get this to work. And the reason they were able to get this to work, you know, having a lower power laser so you don't burn your cells up is because they used a supercomputer. So that's the big that's the big thing from this study. They took optical tweezers which already exist. They took cells which already exist and they took supercomputers which already exist, but I don't know how many there are because they're supercomputers. And they combined all of that together and their previous knowledge of being like, oh shoot, we don't want to burn our cells. And they made something new, the HOTTs, which again is an acronym for a much longer name and type of optical tweezer, which I'm not going to say again because it's super duper long. Um, yeah. So that was the big finding from the study. Um, and it, it was just so cool. And I'm sure you guys are wondering, Julia, well, that's cool, but why is this super cool finding helpful? Like, what's its applicability? Well, as I said, um, it's, it's, it's only a six-month-old study, so it's, it's, it's a really, like, new advancement. And uh, its primary application is that it would help researchers, other researchers who are looking into using optical tweezers on cells... Um, with dealing with the current um, issues with laser optical tweezers that exist right now that produce too much heat. Because as, as we already know, too much heat from a laser can burn up a sample. And that would suck for biology. That would majorly suck. And, uh, yeah, it's just crazy. And I'm sure you guys are wondering, okay, Julia, you said that they lowered the temperature of everything, right? But, like, what are the specifics of that? What are What's the temperature they had to actually lower it to? Like, like all that kind of stuff. I'm sure you guys must be wondering in, in wherever you are listening. You must be wondering that. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'll answer. Thank you. Uh, so <laughs> what the researchers did um, is... And what they found and how they were able to enable uh, this like whole crazy freaky cooling laser system using the uh, supercomputer was that they found 
that to make sure the samples aren't damaged by the heat from the laser, they found the simplest solution, which sounds simple to me, but my God, I, I don't not want to know how long it took them to think of this. They were just like, okay, if we don't want to damage the sample, we'll just cool the whole thing down and then heat it with a laser beam. And apparently that worked. That's apparently what they did. Apparently it worked. And they found that, like, but from cooling the cells down, and then they, you know, hit them with the lasers from the optical tweezers, they found that even when exposing them to optical tweezers and moving them, the surrounding temperature of the cells was only between 27 to 34 degrees Celsius, which is not bad. I mean, think about it. Body temp is... 98.6, or what's that in Celsius? Oh, shoot. Uh, what is that? 27? 28? Oh, shoot. I should know. I'm a biologist, man. But um, needless to say, these researchers, their method was cooling all the cells down, then hitting them with the laser optical tweezers, um, and then they were able to get it to work. And it was crazy. And they were able to trap these cells at a lower la a lower laser power, controlled the temperature, and they made it so the cells weren't damaged. And as I said, they developed this with a supercomputer. So why did they need a supercomputer for this? Well, um, besides, you know, just supercomputers being awesome, um, even though I've never seen one, I would love to see one, they needed the supercomputer for a freak ton of simulations. And why did we need a supercomputer to simulate stuff? Isn't it optical tweez tweezers? Aren't there not really that many things to calculate, you know? As I've explained, you just shoot a laser at an um, objective lens and sometimes use glass beads and then you focus light, right? You don't need a supercomputer for that. Psych! You do. You 100% do. And the reason why this study group needed the supercomputer is they needed it to compute a bunch of these magnitude studies on different particles in different areas. And it calls them full-scale 3D force magnitudes. And it was crazy. It, it, it's, just, it's just crazy. So they needed the supercomputer to basically run all of these complicated operating settings. And in one of the news briefings I was reading about this study, the researchers, <laughs> sorry, the researchers, not the researchers, uh, researchers, they were basically saying that um, to determine all of these calculations on a normal computer, it would have cost them a bunch of money. It would have taken them days to run even one of these simulations on a normal computer and they needed to run thousands of simulations. So think about if they hadn't had access to a supercomputer and they just had, you know, say a computer lab full of like a hundred, you know, um, windows desktops or whatever with like the, the highest level operating system. And, and they only had access to that with these researchers saying they would need days to run one simulation for one data point, and they needed to run thousands of simulations, imagine how many days that would have taken if they hadn't had a supercomputer. The amount of math 
that the computers would have had to do, the amount of math that they would have had to do and set in manually, the amount of days that the supercomputer probably saved them from having to do calculations and math. And to think you needed all this time to run optical tweezers. Like, what? I know, you know, I'm like, you guys might be being like, oh, it's not that complicated, Julia. You explained it perfectly. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. But no, it's a lot more complicated than I've explained. There's, I'm sure, a bunch more things going on behind the scenes behind optical tweezers that I did not touch on. And it's insane. But yeah, uh, that was, that's a bit more on why these researchers needed the uh, supercomputer. And you might be wondering, they're at UT Austin, they're in Texas, where are they going to find a supercomputer? Uh, the CIA? Or um, I think there's one, is there one in Sweden? Germany, maybe? I don't know. There's other, there's a bunch of supercomputers, but that was my thought. I was like, they're in Texas. They're not just going to, you know, live like 100 miles from a supercomputer. Well, apparently they do. Uh, apparently, uh, the University of Texas education system is so big that they have their own supercomputer. It's called the TACC. I forgot to write down the meaning of that acronym. But basically, uh, what I read was University of Texas actually has one of the strongest supercomputers, which I had no idea about. But yeah, that was a supercomputer that these researchers used. Um, and it, and it helped them to in their data analysis to generate results that they said were orders of magnitude faster than anything else that they had. So it was this supercomputer, to put in perspective, was orders of magnitude faster than a typical, excuse me, than a typical computer, which is nuts. And it goes to show the value and the importance of supercomputers. And it just goes to show how insanely fast supercomputers are. Like, what the heck? It makes me almost want to go see one, you know, you know, and I can think of another application of supercomputers, not relevant to this study, but relevant to a very nice book and a movie. If any of you guys ever read the book, uh, The Martian by Andy Weir, Weir, Wire, and they also made a movie um, for it in 2015, which I also saw because my family loves sci-fi. Um, it was a super good movie, but one of the big premises of that book was they used a supercomputer for some really, really complicated calculations. And it wasn't calculations for optical tweezers and manipulating cells. It was calculations for astrodynamics. And I am not going to talk about astrodynamics today. I think my brain would explode. But needless to say, there are a billion different applications for supercomputers and one of them j today just happens to be for optical tweezers, for moving cells. But there's also applications for space, and sci-fi, and for making cool movies, and for just throwing the word supercomputer in there and making everyone freak out, which I definitely freaked out over it. So, yeah. That was another one of the draws about this, this study when I was doing research on it. I saw supercomputer and I was like, huh? Why would they need a supercomputer for optical tweezers just to move stuff around? with light and it all makes sense now and it's nuts but it all makes sense so yeah you guys are really getting the full interdisciplinary tour today i swear i'm gonna be tired next week and just go back to hard bio but this week i really do kind of just find it fun to just talk about you know talk about bio yes of course but talk about other stem stuff too it's kind of fun it's kind of fun and i can get away with it i think because it is applicable it is applicable so, 
Um, I did mention that these researchers were able to uh, move these cells by lowering the temperature of them and using a lower power laser. But what kinds of stuff were they able, did they test and were they able to test using these optical tweezers on the cells? Because, you know, you're doing this big important study and you get all the funding, right? And you, you run it on this study with all these cells. You don't just want to test it on, you know, hey, can we move a cell? And you move a cell and you're like, yay, study complete. No, you have to have more than one goal, you know? I mean, great on them for getting that one goal, but what were some of the other goals of this study that I haven't yet mentioned? Because I wanted to save them for you guys to see and think. If you can think of what else they might have tested this on. So I'm just going to give you guys like five seconds. Think before I mention, explain what they actually did. Think on what you think you might use this kind of tech for. If you're able to move a cell and not burn it with light, what I'm like and there's all these applications for it, what kind of stuff would you test? Okay, that's too long. I, I don't like sitting in silence that long, so I gave you more like 2.5 seconds, but it's fine. I hope you guys had enough time to think. I kind of, this is kind of fun. It's kind of like a game show. It's fun. But yeah, um, what other stuff did these researchers test with this new um, HOTT laser technique with optical tweezers for moving cells? What did they do? So one, these researchers tested this HOTT technique on, drum roll, human red blood cells. Yeah, woohoo. That makes sense because blood. But why did they use human red blood cells? Well, apparently, I didn't know this, but they're sensitive to temperature change, which is cool, which is cool. And uh, these researchers use these red blood cells because, as I said, they're sensitive to temperature change. And they use this new HOTT technique that they developed. They tested it on the red blood cells and they found and demonstrated experimentally, if you guys want to read the paper, if not, that's totally fine. But if you do, they were able to demonstrate that no matter what kind of solution the cells were dispersed in, their HOTT technique allowed them to safely trap the cells with the light as it, you know, gives the cells the momentum that they push back on and then it traps it in the most simple, simple way there. But they were able to trap it and not only trap the red blood cells, they were able to manipulate them. And that was one of the big findings for the study. Besides the development of the HOTT technique using the super cool supercomputers, these researchers were able to trap and move red blood cells. That's insane. It's insane. It's super cool. It's crazy. I'm like, what the actual heck? But it's crazy. Okay, so that's item one of um, what else these researchers did besides developing the HOTT technique for optical tweezers. The other thing that these researchers did that was also biologically and I guess medically relevant was they applied this technique to drug delivery applications. You might be thinking, oh, drug delivery, you know, we've got it all down pat. We got it all on lock. No, we, no, we don't. We don't got it on lock, man. We don't. We have so much more work to do. And drug delivery is basically, you know, if you take an Advil, does the Advil go to the place you want it to go? So if Advil treats a headache, right, does it go to, like, your head? Does it go to your head? Is it targeted enough to go to your head and target the places that actually hurt? Because if you take a drug and you spend all the money on, say, your 
pharmaceutical company, and you spend all the money on developing the drug. You don't want to just sell that drug off, give it to people, they take it, and it treats their headache, but it also, like, treats another part of their body, right? Like, you don't want that. You don't want that happening with, like, say, your Advil or whatever. You want your drugs to be specific. So that was another one of the things that this study looked at with this HOTT technique for the optical tweezers is that they were looking at um, drug delivery applications, which is very applicable. And you guys will soon see why this is very applicable and why this is super, super, super sick. Uh, So these researchers, they used um, something to test this called a plasmonic vesicle, which is apparently a nanoparticle that's coated in gold that is a biocontainer, which I guess as the term suggests it contains a biological thing and it's coated in gold and not just you know gold but like nanoparticle gold like man you thought gold was fancy nanoparticle gold is like fancy on steroids so it's pretty crazy and what these researchers were able to do is they took these plasmonic uh vesicles coated in gold (laughs) and they were able to trap them uh Using their HOTT technique, they were able to trap these vesicles. They were able to move them to different locations inside a solution. They were able to move them. They were able to move a gold-coated bio-container vesicle thing. They were able to move it without incinerating it, without breaking it. And they were able to move it. And... The big thing here with this is being able to move a tiny little vesicle, which is basically a sphere, sphere-ish, sphere-ish thing. Think it holds stuff inside of it, a vesicle. The The really big thing here, being able to move it, is this is analogous to guiding drugs to specific places. And the big thing here, you know what we use drugs on a lot? Cancer and tumors in cancer. So that was the that was the other really big finding of this study is they were able to move vesicles, basically mimicking movement of a drug. And you just have to apply this to say you're moving a drug to treat a cancer tumor. But it's crazy. And not only were they able to move this little vesicle in this scenario, they were able to not only move it, but they were able to reach its intended target and they hit it with another laser and they broke it open. And that released the drug. Now, I have to check if they actually had a drug in there. But it's super cool. They were able to do this. They were able to take a laser. They were able to take light. Not even touch it with their hands. Move it. And break it apart in a orderly, controlled fashion. Which is nuts. It's nuts. The only downside is this tech is still in its infancy. But... The fact that we're able to, one, manipulate red blood cells and not kill them with light, and two, move vesicles that can hold potential drugs in them and release them when we want is big. And this is applicable because it means that for all the people that need to take drugs, they won't need to take as much. Because if we're able to control the release, it could save them money. And this would also be useful for hospitals and other places too, because their drug delivery programs can be more specific. So, in in short, this study at UT Austin was like insane. And you guys thought optical tweezers by themselves were insane. Now add a supercomputer, red blood cells, and tiny little gold-coated 
drug vesicles. Like, oh my god, my head hurts. Man, I feel like this has like been one of my more complicated episodes probably ever. There's just so much going on. Man, I'm I'm a, I'm a little winded here. I, I don't know if you guys can tell. Who? <laughs> I'm gonna have to take a few breaths, but. I, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I'm like, I still can't get over the fact that you can move stuff with light. And that that's actually, like, real and it's not, like, sci-fi. The fact that that exists. The fact that this study was able to trap and manipulate cells and not kill them. Is crazy. It's insane. So, yeah. Some of the future aspects and other things... That study is insane and awesome and super sick, but I'm sure you guys might might be wondering, maybe, if you've actually followed me thus far this whole time, you might be wondering, okay, Julia, that's a really cool study. That's some really cool tech, but where, like, what are some of the things we have to think about with this? What are some of the possible future applications of this? And one question I had when I was looking into this is how many other places in the world work with this kind of tech? And I tried looking it up on the internet, but I have no idea. So I don't really know. But, um, <laughs> yeah. If you guys have any other questions on this topic, um, I don't right now. But if you do, uh, hit me up. I don't know how many I'll be able to answer. But, yeah. Maybe I just need to get a physicist on here and explain this to me again. If I can get that PhD student to come back, that would be nice. That would be nice. Another question I thought of for future was how far away are we actually from being able to use this tech to manipulate cells? Because it would be really cool if we were actually like, you know, like, you know, two or three years away from using this. I don't think we're two or three years away. Uh, I really don't. But I mean, I hope we're close. I really hope we're close. It's crazy. Another thing I, I, I was wondering about, and I'm sure you guys maybe might be wondering about, um, is uh, what are some of the other applications of optical tweezers? So besides manipulating cells and manipulating molecules, what else has been done with them? So um, not only manipulating cells, but a big thing with them is apparently you can use optical tweezers to stretch out DNA, which is nuts. That's crazy, man. Say you don't want to move DNA with, with you know, like a, a tweezer. You move, like, not a, sorry, not a tweezer. That's that's too close to the topic. <laughs> but, like, you know, a physical method. You don't want to move it with, like, a stick. You move it with light. I'm like, that's just crazy. Um, some other applications include, um, uh, s like, stuff like material science um, and those kinds of applications. So, like, thermodynamic stuff, um, manipulation of, like, nanoparticles and cool stuff like... Um, adhesion and deformation and crazy stuff like that. So, if, like, if you want to take a bunch of atoms and, like, yank them apart, I guess you can do that with optical tweezers. I guess you can. But, yeah. So, that's all I've got tonight. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed the returning episode of The Living World. Uh, Woot. And, heads up, I am in my last year. So, this is technically my last semester of doing the show unless I can get someone to take it on after me. But it's pretty crazy. I'm like, I never thought I would get here. And here I am. Only a few more episodes left. So yeah, hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, and please make sure to tune in next week 
Tuesday, 6 p.m. Uh, and I will see you guys then. Thank you so much.